0: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: No trade deal with China, but patience, my friends. We'll talk about what's coming next for the Trump administration on this massive but very important gamble. And also, James Comey, a.k.a. Sancta Comey, with a little CNN town hall where he's rewriting history and puffing up his chest all seven foot eleven of him. We'll get into that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show.
0: Where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One, all, make. Make no mistake. America.
1: Ready. You're a great American. Again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA
1: analyst. Former, Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Very excited to get a chance to hang out with you on this uh Lovely Friday evening. Thank you so much for being here. I am, uh, it's my last day with you for a week. So I'm going to be in China next week. So that'll be fun. Um, assuming everything goes according to plan, I'll have some very good stories for all of you. I think it's important perspective. My timing to go to China is certainly pretty good i think it's uh all of a sudden it's become far and away the most important country in the world outside of our own borders Uh, i guess you could argue maybe you know mexico given the border crisis right now but the border crisis is really more about central american migrants moving through mexico than specifically actions of the mexican government Uh, but china uh, economically from a technology perspective national security perspective and this is the this is the biggest the biggest challenge we face as a country, and so it's very interesting that I'll have some time over there. Uh, my, I've been over to Thailand and and uh, Vietnam before. I that's the full extent of my Asia experience. So I'm looking forward to being in China, and uh, I'll tell you more about the plan for next week. But we're going to have some new guest hosts for you, and they're all we have. Fantastic people lined up for next week. So really, I I, I hope you'll tune in every day as you always do. Uh, obviously, you can also download the podcast if you can't listen live because we're going to have Great shows for you next week. We've, we've, put, we've pulled together an, an Avengers style lineup on radio for next week. So it's going to be really, really good stuff. Um, so with all that said, now there's no deal on on China yet, which is not a surprise. We'll talk more about that in the second hour. I, I really what, what got most of my attention, and this probably will not surprise any of you at all is that uh, James Comey was given a town hall at CNN. Now, this did not pull CNN's ratings out of the ratings basement, which is where they belong. Uh, CNN has become a parody of itself. It is a it is a crappy institution with a tremendous amount of dishonesty, and it's dishonest about what it is, what it's trying to accomplish. Many of the people who work there are nasty, and uh, they are unethical in the way that they both – Present themselves to the public, and I would even say, and how they sometimes deal with their fellow media uh, people. Uh, I have there's no love lost between me and many, many people over at CNN, and I can just tell you that uh, I'm a good guy, and they're not. <laughs> I don't know what else to I don't know else to say. I mean, they they have gone to the dark side. There's something really wrong over there. There's something rotten in the heart of the cable news network started by Ted Turner back in whatever it was, the '90s. So, uh, or the Clinton News Network, as I know some of my peers in conservative media call it. Well, not anymore, I guess. Now it's the Comey News Network. See what I did there? Amazing. So they had a whole Comey sit down last night with with Anderson Cooper and another one of the one of the great uh, products of media PR in, in my lifetime. Anderson Cooper is so famous and such a big deal. Why? Because he can read questions off a sheet and he you know looks like a male model and great. A lot of people can do that. I don't I don't really understand it. But anyway. Uh Comey was doing his thing last night, rewriting history. Very becomes I understand how Comey plays the game. He's very definitive and very much the, the conscience of America. You know, he's he's a combination of George Washington abraham lincoln and jesus himself when he's giving these pronouncements about well the our democracy and the things that we have to do to really protect this wonderful republic and he's all just bombastic highfalutin self-aggrandizing nonsense and then when he gets asked a question where really the truth isn't very good for comey then he gets well i, I don't really remember that i i don't really have much of a recollection of that specific fact uh, I know this is a complicated matter. You know, he goes into this whole look. He's he's a slimy lawyer. Remember this: Comey is not an FBI guy. Comey is not somebody who's been you know kicking in doors, tackling bad guys, tracking down bank robbers and kidnappers. And no, no, Comey's a lawyer, just a lawyer. So you need to recall that too. I mean, the fact that he's FBI director, he's really a politician, a politician who has existed within the federal bureaucracy and elevated himself from within the federal bureaucracy. So he's a creature of it. And he is really, for me, a kind of quintessential manifestation of just how deformed in spirit these creatures of the bureaucracy can be when they stay around for too long. Uh, Comey, first, I got to smash a lot of the lies he told on this thing last night. And this is this is all important. I think Comey's in trouble. I think I I've, I have some sources here in D.C. that tell me that this inspector general's report that's going to come out is going to be very, I would say, unkind to Comey. But that's not true. It's just going to be factual. But the facts are unkind to Comey. He's not going to come off well at all. And remember, Comey's the one who bailed out Hillary. So if we can if we can definitively see that Comey bailed out Hillary and Comey was part of the soft coup to take down Trump. Huh, that's quite a legacy, isn't it? And I think the FBI is going to have to do a a serious uh, scrub of itself for politicization. And I think the, the Bureau's reputation at the leadership level, this is not for the rank and file. If you're an FBI guy and you work in the you know, the Miami office or the Omaha office or the whatever. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the leadership based here in D.C. Uh, Christopher Ray not exactly impressing me this week either. But Comey is trying to get ahead of where he knows all this is going. Comey, who took, remember, he took memos, took government property. It wasn't his. You, know, you don't write memos as FBI director and just take those home with you. That's not how it works were they classified or not I know there's a dispute about that but I would argue that a conversation about any important matter between the president of the United States and the FBI director should be classified many reasons why you know many reasons why in the classification code you could find for that for one it gives insight into the president's mindset about a very important matter and speaking in a confidential setting with a senior law enforcement officer the most one of the most senior law enforcement officers in the country that's something that you want to keep from foreign adversaries, from the press. Comey leaked that to the media. What a dirty, dirty little trick the Comey pulled. I thought he was above that. I thought Comey didn't do that kind of thing. Oh, no, but he absolutely, absolutely did. Why would he do that? Comey, who pretends to be you know, pure as the driven snow untouched by the politicization that has unfortunately tainted so many other players in the swamp oh no not saint comey sancta comey himself he floats above it all all nine foot four of him just sort of this is lanky emo giraffe as my friend sean davis calls him uh he just goes around lecturing everybody and Never, you'll notice he never admits any failings on his part. He's never made any mistakes. He's only made tough calls. He's never lied. He's only just conveniently forgotten what happened over and over and over again. I'm on to Comey, you see. I know him. I don't know him personally, but I know who he is. I understand him. I've come across his type before in the federal government and in life in general. And I'm not letting him slither away from all of this. He has put the country through a very damaging time. It is time for some payback, for some justice. Here is James Comey on this CNN stage talking about whether the FBI spies or not. Play clip four.
2: The FBI doesn't spy. To begin with, the FBI investigates. You said
0: it's not spying. Why do you think Attorney General Barr used the word spying, which is obviously a word that the president has used as well?
2: I can't explain it. I mean, the only explanation I can think of is he used it because the president uses it.
1: Oh, look at that. I can't explain it, but it's because he's Trump's hack. Look at the little backhanded, snide, slippery, Comey maneuver. I can't explain it, but I'm going to explain it by saying something that's disparaging about Bill Barr and say that he's the president's lackey. This is a rhetorical technique of, of a particularly cowardly pedigree called uh, uh, where you know, I'm not going to say that my opponent is a uh, philandering lout and a cheat, but uh, other people could say that. That's called preterizio. This is what Comey does. You know, He's above it while he does it. This is the game that he plays. And he's wrong. He's wrong because he's not very bright. He thinks he's very bright. He's really not. He's wrong because obviously spying is a word that we can all define and understand. And you could make the case that all kinds of law enforcement surveillance is a form of spying, right? And whenever there are groups in this country that civil rights advocates and others feel have been unfairly targeted by law enforcement— not by the federal government, not overseas, not using programs like FISA explicitly created for counterintelligence collection purposes, but mere law enforcement surveillance in this country of certain groups that are oppressed minorities or this or that or leftists or Marxists or whatever that is routinely referred to as spying. And it's considered a black mark on the history of the law enforcement community. And I, I mentioned, for example, the FBI spying on figures like Martin Luther King Jr. Of course, they, they say that's spying without batting an eyelash. Of course it's spying. Oh, no, but now we can't say it's spying. Now we can't say that inserting a covert or confidential human informant asset, we don't, we don't even know who really sent him and who did it. We just know that someone was sent by the government to go try to entrap, and it was also entrapment, George Papadopoulos, that this isn't spying, this is nonsense. Even Clapper admitted that from a definitional standpoint, it's spying, and that's another way of saying, yeah, it's spying. If the definition is met, then it is that thing. But Comey's playing games here, as he always does. Comey's trying to hedge, trying to prevaricate, trying to create a, a cloud of misconception for his own benefit. And it gets worse. Play five.
2: No doubt in my mind, but that doesn't mean I'm against review of it. That's totally fine.
1: So you think the inspector general will find nothing inappropriate?
2: I don't think so. At least not that I know of. But if they do, they do, and they should be transparent about it. Again, I'm a big believer in the truth. If the truth is there was something concerning, then let's hear it. I don't know of anything like that.
1: I don't know of anything like that. We have text messages from the senior counterintelligence investigator at the FBI talking about an insurance policy to stop Trump from getting elected. We're not idiots. We know what they were discussing. We have it in plain text. We have him saying blank Trump this and blank Trump that, cursing about the Republican nominee and then president of the United States. Nothing concerning? He goes on to talk about the severe consequences that Page and Struck faced. Like what? Severe. Severe consequences when you're talking about what these people did is going to prison. No one's even bringing charges against them. Severe consequences? Comey's a joke, folks. I'm not letting this go. We're going to dive into this, and we're going to chop lanky Comey's lies down to size. And then we'll talk about China and a bit more about uh, what's going to be happening next week while I'm over in China. And... We're going to have a fantastic show because we always do. It is Friday. We are chilling like villains, but we're actually the good guys. We'll be right back. Again, Mueller didn't say
2: it wasn't uh, the case. He didn't disprove it, but he also didn't establish that it was the case. Another important thing is the counterintelligence part of this work, which is what whether the Russians had leverage over the president, that would be part of the counterintelligence investigation. Mueller left that with the FBI. His document is about a prosecutor's look at whether there are crimes
1: to be prosecuted. Do you think, do you think the Russians have leverage over President Trump? I don't know the answer to that. You think it's possible? Yes. Another classic Comeyism. I don't know, but let's go with the thing that makes Trump look bad. I don't know, but yeah, it's possible. You think, about, think about how disgraceful this is how dishonest and gross this is I can play this game too is there any evidence that James Comey is a murderer no but I can't prove to you that he's not a murderer so he could be I I, there's no proof that he is I'm not saying that he's ever but I, I can't tell you definitively that there's no chance that there aren't you know a bunch of bodies in his backyard somewhere right you don't I don't know do you know can you prove no can you prove a negative? This is idiocy, but this is what he's doing. He's doing it to the President of the United States. Do the Russians have leverage over Trump? Well, I don't know, but I think they, you know, I think they could. Okay, do the Chinese have leverage over Trump? Do the, do the you know, do the Uzbeks, do the Azerbaijanis, do the Argentinians, you know? Well, I don't know. I think they could. Any of them could, you idiot. I can't believe. This guy held the government posts he did as long as he did, and, and people didn't seem to figure this out. Comey's a bad guy, folks. I mean, Trump, one thing that has been forgotten here is that when he came in, we said that, or the, the, one of the promises was that, was that he would clean up the swamp or he would drain the swamp. And I think it's so interesting. Trump apparently didn't like that swamp term, but then it just caught on so much that he had to embrace it. He also, Trump told me that he does not like, the president told me he does not like the term deep state. I'm sorry, it's a good term. I think he's, and then and, and people use it all the time now because that is what we're dealing with here. But part of how he has drained the swamp is by being essentially a a kind of, you know, fly trap for the swamp creatures, you know, he's bait. He draws them out. Comey would still be FBI director if you had a, you know, a sort of traditional Republican or a Democrat who is in the in the position. Comey would still be at the FBI. He'd still be making very important decisions about who, you know, prosecutions and investigations. He'd still be there. That's stunning. This guy is a, is a clown, is a joke at least Trump has been able to get out there and start to say this a little bit, start to explain a bit more of what we are seeing. And I think that that Inspector General report, by the way, I think the Inspector General report comes out in June. What Trump should do is he should hold back the release of the information, the uh, declassification of the FIS and everything. That should be his October surprise. And I know I want it before then, too. I get it. But Trump should hold the declassification of the FISA, the uh, Russia investigation origin documents and all of that. He should hold that until September before the election and then just let it rip, then let it fly because that stuff is going to just look so bad for all these jokers. Will it change the election outcome? I don't know. I mean, It should. People should be embarrassed for this Democrat party. The problem is, though, the true hardcore Democrats, they know that there is dishonesty in this process. They know that this was all a get Trump operation. They like that part of it. So even when we prove that that's what happened here by releasing those documents, when the president does that, I got to tell you, maybe it it sways some minds of undecided voters, but more, more to the point, I just want them to have to just take it right on the chin for what they did to this president. I really think that that's what they deserve, and I want it to get out there.
0: He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
1: There has to be accountability for all this, and the only way you have that is with a gigantic investigation into how it all happened, right. which means grand juries, <laughs> indictments if necessary. But that doesn't change culture. No, but, but then there has to be a public accounting and then you have to have leaders. We have one now with Barr. Right. The FBI, however, is rudderless. Chris Ray is a disaster. Ray is hiding under his He's an empty suit. Not only that, He's disingenuous. Yes. He has never given the big speech that you have to give when you come into an organization like that. We're going to fix this. We made some bad mistakes. He has never said that to the FBI employee. How can you lead an institution back to credibility when you don't address the problem frontally? I agree with uh, Joe DiGenova here that there has been really no accountability in the FBI whatsoever. I think that there is a, a kind of deep state delusion going on over there that if they just let this go, if they don't focus on it, if they don't pay any attention to what happened, then everything will be just fine. Then there's nothing to worry about. But unfortunately, that is not the case. <laughs> they they need to have a, a, a coming together on this one. They need to have a what went wrong and how do we make sure it did not it does not happen again in the future but instead they're pretending that everything has been fine that it's all been on the on the up and up and they've got Sancti Comey going on TV spreading lies and continuing to dig in and isn't it so interesting that none of the everything that benefits a democrat in this process well you know it's hillary or you know i mean that Comey always has the benefit of the doubt for the Democrat and always has the worst possible interpretation for Trump and then wants to tell us that he's operating in good faith. Let me tell you this. You know, when, and, and I don't think we have a soundbite on this one, but there was a moment when Comey tried to claim that, here, I can actually, I can pull up the the verbit of this one. He said that there was... Uh, A totally normal step, he said, a totally normal step to plant undercover sources in a political campaign. Let me just tell you in shorthand, bullcrap, okay? That is absolutely, completely insane. For him to act like a single-sourced, unvetted tip, which is essentially gossip from some foreign overseas rando, this Australian diplomat and and Joseph Mifsud, that that would be enough to justify the FBI sending some kind of clandestine asset uh, to spy on a U.S. presidential campaign is nuts. This is effectively the same as the FBI director telling you this is really no different in my mind from the FBI director telling you that they opened a full field investigation on a conspiracy that claims that Donald Trump is actually a reptile. Oh no, Buck, they had a legitimate predicate for it. There's an email from, you know, truthteller1759 at AOL.com came right into the FBI tip box and so we took Truth Teller 19572's email and we had to, you know, what are we going to do? The president could be a reptile, buck. Don't you think that we would be we would be, you know, not conducting our duties properly if we didn't chase this down? So sure, we we got a FISA and we ran a bunch of clandestine assets based on this anonymous tip in the FBI email box. We got the tip. We didn't do anything wrong. This is what James Comey has done here. This is what we are being told to swallow. I'm sorry. I'm spitting it out back in their face. Yeah. Unacceptable, Comey. No friggin' way. Unacceptable. The the let, let me just give you a few additional data points here to prove why I'm right and Comey's a clown and a jerk and not nearly as clever or smart as he thinks he is. Uh, there are very serious prohibitions in place at the DOJ merely for pulling the records of a journalist in a national security informa- in a national security case. Okay, it goes all the way to the Attorney General's desk if you're going to pull a journalist's records to try to find a source for a national. This usually comes up in national security leak investigations. Ve- they they have a very high level of sensitivity around this First Amendment balancing yada yada all that stuff. You're going to tell me that Comey, who says he was briefed on this and knew about this, never thought, you know, maybe we need a little bit more. Maybe we can't just run a probe of an active presidential campaign that is actually the Republican nominee months away from Election Day. Maybe we need to go on more than the word of a foreigner who has no proof, has nothing other than his word to some FBI agents. Did, did that ever get factored in here? Did you he ever think about this? You're going to tell me the bar is that low? All it takes is, you know, a, a comment from Mifsud about, you know, email, about basically rumors, somebody mouthing off at a bar. You can start a full field investigation. I mean, if I'm in a bar here in D.C. and I get super wasted, which I, I don't tend to do, but, you know, if that happened and I said, you know what? Uh, I'm actually I'm aware of a plot where, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin is planning on on, uh, you know, running for United States Senate because he's bought off the entire Senate and they're going to change the law and they're going to make it possible for him to do that. I mean, it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. Right. But can they run an investigation on me because of this Putin plot? Can they pull my phones and everything because I, I said something dumb in a bar? Comey's defense here is really when you when you boil it all down, the senior ranks of the FBI are so stupid and so Trump deranged and their judgment is so poor that when one guy said he heard something from Papadopoulos, they risked the entire reputation of the FBI. They risked the validity and and trust the American people could have in a presidential election. They rolled the dice on the word of Mifsud and a diplomat from Australia named Downer? They were willing to do that? I don't know what's worse, that they're lying about it and expect us to believe this when this clearly isn't really all that was going on and they haven't told us about the rest. Or, and this is a possibility, maybe the people running the FBI, including Comey, are a bunch of hysterical uh, nin- nincompoops. Maybe they're just not very smart. I-, I don't know what's worse, but these are the options we're left with because the explanation Comey's giving is laughable. This is preposterous. so Cooper, of course, doesn't push him on any of this. You're going to open. You're going to send. You're going to send clandestine assets to go and meet with presidential campaign, and then you're going to open FISA on Carter Page? You even address addressed that. On Carter Page? Who's working with the FBI before? Doesn't add up, folks. It's a deep state coup. They're scared. They're trying to cover themselves. But we're coming for them. We are. We'll be right back.
2: Do you think the attorney general should go to jail?
1: How do you get this thing moving? Do you oppose fines? Do you suggest Maybe even, as some have uh, said, jail time. Should he just go to jail? jail? Should
0: he go to jail for it? We send the sergeant of arms
2: out to handcuff the individual okay. who is declining who to testify. Who are going to handcuff?
0: Well, I'm going to start with um, Mr. Barr. Attorney General of the United States to be
1: arrested by the sergeant of arms and put in jail.
0: You don't want to uh, throw
2: the AG in cuffs, though, right? I I don't want to throw him in jail, but I'm ready to do so.
1: And you have to have him
2: sit for a hearing, and I think you have to have him locked up to use our sergeant at arms and to bring him in. He can either be um, held there to testify, or he can uh, be punished. Uh, And uh, there is actually a jail in the Capitol.
1: What a bunch of BS hysteria. I mean, the Democrats have humiliated themselves the last couple of weeks on this issue. But especially this week, as I look back on it, with all the oh yeah, they're going to put the attorney general in jail. I you know I, I kind of wish that Barr would just say, you know what, bring it, suckers. What are you really going to do? You're going to try to put him in prison? Are you kidding me? But th- these are the this is the thing. They act like they're the mature adults in government. Trump is the problem. You see, they're they're the ones that they want to just restore normalcy. And you know, I remember. When saying "lock her up" about Hillary, uh, I remember when saying "lock her up" was was a terrible thing that was undermining our democracy. And she was just a candidate; she wasn't even a government official uh, at at the time. She wasn't there's was no, there, she wasn't the president. She wasn't the attorney general. It's a person who wants to be the president. And saying "lock her up" for a crime, and we'll return to this for a crime that she definitely committed, and that other people would have absolutely absolutely been prosecuted for. Um, I mean, look, if I had done what she had done, my expectation would have been that I had to take a plea bargain to avoid prison time for mishandling classified information. I really mean that. That would have been my my assumption. And every person I know who's not a anti-Trump, left-wing, pro-Hillary Democrat will admit that. They're like, yeah, that's, that's true. You would be in trouble for this. She didn't even get a suspension of her clearance. Nothing, no, no discipline whatsoever for what she did uh, with classified information. None. But remember, lock her up, Chance. That's horrifying. It's undermining our democracy. Multi-millionaire, you know, news anchors who have big platforms—not that big at CNN, but I mean, you know, kind of big. They're talking about arresting the attorney general, putting people on TV, or saying arrest the attorney general. And that's supposed to be fine? I mean, do they realize what kind of combustible stuff they're dealing with here? They start arresting cabinet members for And think about, you know, these people are so nuts that it's even hard to explain. They want to arrest the attorney general because he won't give them documents after he voluntarily gave them 98% of the documents. He won't give them documents that they are legally not entitled to. There is a statutory block on their ability to get 6E grand jury material. It exists. It's real. It's there. But they're just saying, well, he should should waive it. Well, he's not going to waive it. There's a reason the law is there. If they want it, go to a judge. They're going to arrest him because he won't just do it? That's that's really a, a good overview of the modern Democratic Party. Break the law that we tell you to break or else we're, we're gonna arrest you for breaking the law. This is like dealing with crazy people. This is not normal. Um, but speaking of dealing with not normal, going back to James Comey here for a moment. Sancta Comey, oh my, one and only Sancta Comey on the Hillary point. And this is, you know, Democrats get very touchy now when you bring up Hillary. I'm sorry, no, that's not off limits. We just spent two years investigating what happened in the summer of 2016, for the most part. I don't want to hear about how the summer of 2016, when it comes to Hillary, is off limits. Especially because Comey and Strzok and and all these other, you know, Page, these individuals that were very much involved in Russia collusion hoax were also very much involved in protecting Hillary with the email fiasco. The same people, This isn't some huge mystery. This isn't some huge shock. You don't need a very big deep state to have an enormous effect, an enormous impact on these two cases when the people involved in the two cases are the same and they're at the very top of the FBI and the DOJ. You only need about, you know, a half dozen of them. And it looks like we already know who they are. We're supposed to think this is a coincidence? But here's how... James Comey, aka Sancta Comey, explains, tries to explain himself because he, look, he's, he's broken. Like Comey's going down, folks. Comey's in trouble. You know, he, he's and seeing that smug piece of garbage finally, finally have to just sit and stew in the truth, which is that he is completely and utterly in love with his own false virtue. And then he, he ruined people. He did people dirty because he's such a smug, priggish punk. And to see him finally have to answer for the fact that, you know, he when other people break the laws, he's, oh, no law breaking allowed. You know, James Comey is just the conscience of America. But when he breaks rules, it's, well, everything's very complicated and I can't remember this and I can't remember that and I'm not sure about this. And you know all of a sudden he gets all slippery. Slippery Comey is what he turns into when you start to push him on some things. Here's what he said about Hillary and her emails and his whole effort to essentially keep her from getting locked up. Play two.
2: Secretary Clinton had engaged in conduct that was way beyond what the normal carelessness was. And so how do we explain to the American people that it's not the ordinary stuff, but it doesn't rise to the level that you would be locked up for it. So I have to characterize the behavior in some way, not to attack her, but so the American people would understand this is the basis for their judgment. It's not criminal, but it's not the ordinary stuff. I probably should have said really sloppy or something, but I had to characterize it. The goal was to offer transparency to foster trust.
1: So you would have used words other than extremely careless?
2: Yeah, only because this is a technical thing, but the Republicans in Congress got all wrapped around the axle on those words because they said, aha, that sounds like gross negligence, which is a violation of the law that was passed in 1919. I'd have said something more plain spoken and yeah. say,
1: really sloppy. Listen to the slimy lawyering here from Sancti Comey. I shouldn't have said extremely careless. I should have said really sloppy. It's the same thing, you clown. And recklessness is in the statute. It's not up to Comey to play word games with recklessness versus extremely careless versus really sloppy. She was reckless. She put national security information at risk numerous times, over 100 times, willfully, repeatedly. She was culpable. But he bailed her out and now he wants to try to explain that he didn't bail her out. We're not all idiots, Comey, and you know what the thing with James Comey is? He's just not as smart as he thinks he is. That's really his greatest flaw. He's really kind of a middling bureaucrat who just sucked up to the right people, destroyed the right people at the right time, which is also very important for bureaucrats. you know knew who to throw under the bu- knew who should be thrown under the bus and when for his own advancement, I've come across plenty of Comey's in my life. I have a particular disdain for individuals like him. And I really do hope that he gets his comeuppance. He deserves it. Wanna talk about justice? Justice is James Comey's reputation being utterly and entirely ruined because of James Comey's actions, because he deserves it.
0: And some reports that the U.S. is softening its stance on forced technology transfers, state-subsidized I don't think we're softening our stance on anything. What I think is going on is a very good discussion. About all these topics, and as I said, you'll get a lot of clarity perhaps at the end of next <laughs> week yes,
1: so we do not yet have a deal with China on trade. I didn't think that was going to be the case. I think I told you that yesterday, and not that that's some great prediction it's pretty obvious. there would have been different indicators if there was going to be a deal and I think the mar- that's why the market you know there was a little bit of skittishness, but then it's kind of recovered because people. One of the things about the market is people got to put their money where their where their mouths are right you got to make a bet and that's why you know the way that this has gone on china is people understand this is a long it's going to be a long haul and a lot of the market anxiety is already priced into people's perceptions of where this is going you know we've been thinking for a long time this is going to happen here's the update today from the wall street journal trade talks between the u.s and china broke off on friday with no agreement announced Hours after President Trump raised the tariff level on $200 billion of imports from China. China! In tweets Friday afternoon, Mr. Trump called the two days of talks candid and constructive, but said tariffs will stay in place pending the result of future negotiations. He said his relationship with Chinese President Xi Jinping remains a very strong one and conversations into the future will continue. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin also described the talks as constructive. Okay, you got Robert Lighthizer, who's the U.S. Trade Representative here, saying that you know things are gonna we're gonna get things going. It's continuing on. Now, what do I think's going on here? I think I think the following. I'll tell you what's going on with China. It's, it's, it's great timing, gotta say. Is Buck gonna go to China and uh, not? You know, is, am I gonna go to China? Am I gonna fix everything? Probably. If when I come back from China, there's a trade deal, are we, you know, going to say thank you, Buck? I would hope so. Because I think that I might be able to fix some things. Might be able to make make the magic happen here. But on a real note, I mean, I am going to be in China during a very interesting time. I will say that. And the U.S. relationship with China is at at a particularly poignant moment. But here we have a negotiation that I think has stalled because they're, one, hoping that some Democrat will win because they know that they'll be able to push the Democrat around and get what they want, and there just won't be this willingness to spend political capital. Trump is spending real political capital and taking a lot of heat in order to deal with a problem that is a very real problem that no serious onlooker no serious observer of the situation between the u.s and china disagrees exists it's definitely there there's definitely a big problem but no previous administration has wanted to take this on they've not been willing to deal with this the way that trump is dealing with it which is to say no more i'm i'm not i'm not going to allow this to just continue on the predatory practices, the intellectual property theft, the uh, just constantly putting their thumb on the scale against us on trade and getting a free ride on our backs along the way. It's not going to continue as is. And, you know, a, a negotiation, there is a combative aspect to it. A negotiation is a process for resolving. Two opposing forces, opposing wills. It's not supposed to be a hug, a smooch, and a okay. We got everything figured out right away. That's not how a lot of negotiations go. You also have to be patient. You have to be willing to walk away. Trump and his team are willing to do all of that here. Now, I think that the that the Chinese probably want to hold off and see what happens with the election because they're playing a long game, as we know. So that means that they don't feel an urgency to get a deal done right away. But as we look at when there'll be the most like, if you're asking me when a deal with China could actually happen, I would say it would be in the first quarter of 2020 if President Trump wins re-election. That's when there will be the, the recognition that because the Chinese are suffering, their economy is suffering more than ours because of their intransigence, because they won't uh, you, know, they won't anymore make changes that they need to cha- uh, change. You know, because of that though, eventually there'll be a position where the Chinese will have to recognize that four more years of Trump just beating them down with these tariffs, isn't worth it at least come up some deal you know there's gonna be a lot of keep in mind a deal is not going to solve all problems the chinese will try to cheat within the framework of the deal we're gonna have to punish them for things but at least it would be moving the right direction but the the time when i think you will finally get a trade deal with china is if trump wins re-election after his re-election and and that gets going then they can really put the heat on the chinese might might it's a might say okay you're right we'll we'll start to change things up a little bit so strap in, my friends. It's going to be a long road to China. All of these conservative writers that wanted to maintain their dignity uh, and thought they could do that by being
0: anti-anti-Trump are now all going in to William Barr. I mean, just want to let you let you guys know you were defending, I don't know, maybe even have him for a long time. Doesn't matter. You're defending the most corrupt attorney general. I mean, since John Mitchell. Like it's bad. Your article is going to look
1: extraordinarily stupid, and you're going to look yeah, like
0: well, a sycophant.
1: It's just—it's really embarrassing. I hope you'll protect yourself from that because you really humiliated yourself over the past couple weeks. Joe Scarborough's embarrassing. Joe Scarborough exists to be a fake Republican who just bashes Republicans. That's—that is what his existence. Is. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it even for the four or five million dollars overpaid as he is that Joe Scarborough gets. Couldn't do it. Couldn't wake up. Couldn't look myself in the mirror every day. Showing up to a job to pretend to care about things that matter, to to pretend to have an ideological core principles, morals, ethics, and then just trash my own side. So dishonorable. There's no amount of money that's worth being such a dishonorable hack. But Scarborough sold out. Oh, oh, you mean Joe Scarborough? who when, when he thought him and Trump were buddy-buddy, he loved Trump. He was all about the Trump train. He and Mika. And for him to go around and trash conservative writers who are defending Attorney General Barr, Attorney General Barr has done nothing wrong. They can say whatever they want about you know, the, the the words that he has used so far, he has not broken any regulation. He has not done anything that is untoward. And they're calling him the most, this guy's calling him a corrupt attorney general. Based on what? Why is he corrupt? How is he corrupt? Well, what? What? Because he released a summary of the Mueller. Mueller's a prima donna. Mueller's Comey 2.0. Mueller's whole thing was, how do I, with the limited facts that we can pull together that aren't, favorable for Trump how can we do as much damage to Trump as possible under the circumstances we can't prosecute him let's figure something else out Mueller was a get Trump operation we all know this we're not we're not silly but what has Barr done that was that's so bad the, the reason that there is this frenzy to undermine the attorney general to destroy his reputation and to and to call out anyone like me who will speak in his defense. The reason that is happening is because they know they have a formidable opponent in both their destroy Trump operations now and somebody who methodically, legally, ethically is going to get some, get some results. There will be accountability. People will be held to account for what they have done in their maniacal destroy Trump efforts. That's going to happen now. That's why they hate the attorney general so much. This, this attorney general is j- just like Kavanaugh, I would say, in that he's the gold standard in terms of his resume, his background. doesn't get any better. He's as qualified to be the attorney general as anybody, far more qualified than Eric Holder. You want to talk about corrupt? Never mind Operation Fast and Furious, which Eric Holder just covered up using executive privilege, covered up what happened. People died. Brian Terry, U.S. Border Patrol agent, murdered with weapons, sold through straw purchasers to the cartels to try and prove how much guns were flowing into Mexico from the United States. And they covered it up. Eric Holder also was the one who signed off on the pardon for Mark Rich who was given a pardon because his wife writes fat checks to the Democrat National Committee and Democrat candidates. Just, just a pardon for sale. That's all that was. And everybody knew it. And even Holder can't defend it now. Yeah, yeah I, I gave him a pardon, and I probably shouldn't have given him a pardon. You know. Holder is a he's a, he's a hes a third-tier legal intellect. But he was the attorney general. Ooh, Okay. And he was Obama's wingman by his own admission. But he's not corrupt. You know, we're not talking about it. And he was held in contempt, as we know. But that's largely just now a, a political tool. doesn't mean that it's right when both sides do it. But both sides do it for, for reasons that are inherently political. But what, what is Scarborough even talking about? Why does anyone listen to this guy? I, 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 I don't know who the Scarborough viewer is. I think it must be Democrats who think, well, he's a Republican that I like, and they like him because he's actually a Democrat who just bashes Republicans all day. And that's quite a cute game. There's a whole slew of people over at CNN. That's what they do. They're so conservative, but when you listen to them, all they do is bash Republicans. They don't have any any harsh words to say about the infanticidal left and the abortion uber super crazy extremists. That dominate the Democratic Party, right? They don't have anything to say about them, but they have a lot of nasty things to say about Trump and Trump's advisors, and you know what Trump said about this or how Trump said about that. Scarborough is in that category. He's one. He's one of these. He's one of those. Just makes you think to yourself. Okay, producer Mike, who's watching? Who's watching Joe Scarborough? So I just did a, a quick search. And about their ratings, and here's the first thing that comes up: the conservative talker is now the lowest-rated morning show on cable news. First line, so yeah. your answer? Not a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really do. I think that he he cre- there, there there's a his purpose is for libs to feel like they can watch a conservative and and so they're open-minded if watch a conservative, they can watch a Republican, but he's not a Republican. So it's all it's all a fraud. I mean, Joe Scarborough's essentially engaged in a media fraud every day. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't, look, don't even get me started on like he says all this nasty stuff about Trump and Trump's personal life. Uh, Joe Scarborough, you might want to slow slow your roll there a little bit, buddy. A little bit, a little bit of homewrecking going on from what I understand. You know, let, let's glass house, my friend, glass house. But I just want to know why he's slamming Bill Barr. It's one thing he's got beef with Trump that's personal right that's just that's vindictive petty stuff and look I get it Trump Trump burns people that used to be friends with them and they hate him forever and you know sometimes they come back to him sometimes they don't I understand but what, but this this uh this complete besmirching of Bill Barr's character is this is you know someone is a hack and a joke when they try to say this attorney general is corrupt I actually I feel better about how this country's future is going to go, knowing that Bill Barr is the Attorney General right now. This guy is a this guy's a legal superstar. His credentials are impeccable. His integrity is has never been challenged until now. No one's ever thought that he was a hack. No one's ever thought, oh, Trump's broken him. They say based on what? He doesn't need Trump. He doesn't care. This guy's a super successful lawyer in private practice. Has already been Attorney General. He doesn't need this but he's not going to take this stuff lying down. They can't bully him. And they hate people. The left hates conservatives. They hate people with just a rational jurisprudence. They hate people that really believe the law is the law because they can't bully. Them. Um, I, I am just so sick of it. I really am. Uh, one more thing. This whole effort to go after Trump's family—I know we talked about it yesterday—but it's it's appalling. It's appalling. They're clearly trying to harass President. Now, I will say that by the president bringing you know his daughter and son-in-law into his administration in the White House, that's—I I think that you know he's he's putting them in a position where they are going to be for congressional stuff. It's it's going to be a fair game situation. They're going to go after them because they're White House advisors, but. We know that they're going to do a lot more than just subpoena some records. We know they want to try to take these people and ruin their lives. That's what the left will do. That's how the left tries to get, get, its, uh, get its way. And, and here's Trump talking about the fact that Burr, Senator Burr, who's a Republican, is on a committee, leads a committee that subpoenaed his, his son in the Senate. Play clip 16.
0: I was very surprised to see my son. My son's a very good person. My son testified for hours and hours. My son was totally exonerated by Mueller, who, frankly, does not like Donald Trump. Me, this Donald Trump.
1: And yet, they want more testimony. They want to make his life even more of a circus. Donald Trump Jr., from what I understand, I I do not believe, I could be wrong, maybe he has some role in the campaign. He doesn't have a role in the administration, though. But there's they really he's in this situation. It's like when they really wanted to get either Karl Rove or Cheney during the Bush administration. They really want to get one of Trump's kids. That's the the left has a there's a bitterness. There's a vindictiveness in the left about how much they want to get one of the president's children. They want to make it about getting his kids. I mean, this is some real sick Game of Thrones stuff from the left. It really is. And if you think that, you know, I'm just coming up with this out of thin air. Here's Joy Beha saying exactly that. Play 15.
0: Yesterday, uh, Trump
1: held a press conference about uh, whatever, and he talked about his son, (laughs) Don Jr., getting subpoenaed by a Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee, and he actually sounds like he cares about someone other than himself. My son, my son, he kept saying, like as if he's a real father. (laughs) As if he's a real father. No human feeling, no basic dignity extended from the left toward this president or his family. They are completely deranged. They are hateful. They are spiteful toward this president. You must remember that because it affects all of their judgment about him. It affects all of the way they view his policies, and it also affects the way they view people like you and me who support him. They don't. They don't have the ability anymore. On the left to step back and say, "Okay, you know, we're all people here. We're all doing our best. We mean well. Most of us are are pretty decent, trying to do good things. And we have, you know, our, our commonalities and our shared love of different things, like love of family, love of our children." Joy Behar, see, you know, gets a laugh. <laughs> I mean, she's just a horrifying person. But you know, she gets a laugh by saying he's not a real father, and who cares about this and everything else. This is dehumanizing. The left uses rhetoric about dehumanizing. That's what she's doing about the president and his son. This is why the left, we have to understand, these people are sick. They're sick. They're maniacs. They have problems, folks. They got a big
0: problem. I guarantee you, Joe Biden will not get to Election Day without this being investigated. Joe Biden was appointed the point man for Ukraine. Two to three weeks later, his son, who had just been tossed out of the military, for testing positive to cocaine, was appointed to a position on the most corrupt agency or the most corrupt business in Ukraine. Biden's kid took down about three to $4 million, we can count. And Biden, when the kid got under investigation, actually says, quote, I strong-armed the president of Ukraine to dismiss the prosecutor because the son of a, I'll leave it out, was corrupt. What he left out of the explanation was, That prosecutor was right on the tail of his son looking for the money that appeared to have been laundered. All of a sudden, the president of the Ukraine gets a call from the vice president of the United States and he's told you're not going to get your one point two billion dollar loan guarantee, which they needed then to prevent default unless you dismiss
1: the prosecutor. Oh, looks like Biden may be having a little bit of trouble. Rudy Giuliani, whom I've had the uh, good fortune to interview several times over the last six months or so, and I bumped into him a few times socially in D.C. as well. And I, I like seeing Rudy. Rudy reminds me of of New York, of my hometown, and also of what he did for that city. So I, I always give a a lot of a lot of uh, respect and uh, and a, a degree of you know there's a degree of fondness for for Mr. Mayor there. You know, I'm somebody who doesn't believe that. Anyone in government should retain their government title when they leave. I will say that. Well, for for Mr. Mayor with Rudy Giuliani, it's I I I choose that one because I think that he kind of earned it, you know, by turning New York around. But that's just a personal choice. I don't like this thing where we call people ambassador or Mr. Speaker or you know. I I, I like Newt Gingrich. He's not Mr. He's not Speaker Gingrich. He, he, I'm sorry. I, he's he's not the Speaker of the House anymore. He's Newt Gingrich, right? And this, I'm not beating up on Newt. I'm just saying I mean, this is. This is a weird thing, and ambassadors in particular are very huffy about it. I'm like, calm down, Ambo. Easy. Speaking of Ambos, we have an issue here with Biden's family and what looks like some corrupt action that Biden took. And does anyone think that this is really beyond the pale for Joe Biden? You know, a a guy who we all know is out for number one, first and foremost, doesn't really represent much in the way of a political ideology. I don't think Biden's a true believer in anything other than Bidenism. You know, I think Biden is a Bidenist and kind of the same way that Comey is a Comeyist except James Comey is also very much tied to the institution of the FBI. And I think that really Comey started to think that, you know, l'état, c'est moi, right? The state is me, Louis the, was it Louis the 14th, I believe he said that? Uh, Louis XIV in France, same idea with Comey, the FBI c'est moi. that's James Comey. so but Biden is a guy who thinks for thinks of Biden. he's always thinking of Biden and his immediate family and how to line their pockets and how to use his influence and you know that that just doesn't surprise me at all. Remember Biden was also the guy who was charging the Secret Service some outrageous rent to have a little station on his property where they could kind of position themselves to provide him security. you know he was charging them. Like, you know, top, top dollar for a very uh, minimal, minimal space. But so you have the, the Rudy kind of laid it out. We came in, you have this possible corruption issue of Biden's son uh, getting the heat taken off him from a Ukrainian prosecutor because Biden threatened a loan guarantee of over a billion dollars. I mean, this is, you want to talk about obstruction. That's. Foreign, I mean, that's probably Foreign Corrupt Practices Act violation. It's definitely abuse of government authority, abuse of power. It's obstruction of Ukrainian justice, probably. I don't know if that's something you could charge here, but uh, it's, it's definitely unethical. And, and if this is proven, I think it's going to be a problem for Biden. The other area that is going to get more attention going forward is around this uh, election meddling. Here's the basics of it. And Rudy's going out there. I mean, he's he's going on offense, folks. And this is what needs to happen. We, we, we've been playing way too much defense in the on the right and in Trump world. And it's been just the whole hope that the barrage ends, just put our heads down in the trench and hope that eventually the artillery rounds just stop getting fired at us. Instead, we should go on offense and find out, well, we, we're doing this somewhat now. You're seeing this with the attorney general and what he's going to release, hopefully, in the next month or so from the inspector general report of the DOJ, but also do some investigative work. You know, where's our Christopher Steele? You know, where's our guy who's out there really looking at what's going on here with, with Joe Biden and who knows what other Democrat candidates we're going to have to do a deep dive into? Uh, we don't want Christopher Steele in the sense that we don't want somebody who is a fabricator and, and full of crap, but we want someone who's going to pull together a real a dossier of facts instead of lies about Joe Biden and what he did in Ukraine. And Giuliani is going to be looking into whether or not somebody on behalf of the DNC was asking the Ukrainian government for dirt on paul manafort that's the allegation right now that's what there's that's what's going to get some attention and I, and I just want to say that we need to establish right now if there was any outreach from anyone associated with the dnc in any way to a foreign government to get a thing of value, which is what the Democrats were saying about it when it was the Veselnitskaya Trump Tower meeting, to get a thing of value as an in information from a foreign government, the Ukrainian government, which is, it's not quite Russia, but it's not a not really a friendly either. You know, we, we're not, you know, Ukraine is not Canada. Although if this becomes a thing, trust me, the Democrats are going to say, oh, Ukraine, it's the greatest country that we've ever been friends with. And it's amazing. But if we can prove that there was outreach to get oppo research from the ukrainian government against the trump administration or i'm sorry against the trump campaign and paul manafort Uh, how are democrats going to explain that given the standard that they've set up given what we have been told about you know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable for a presidential campaign in terms of its foreign contacts and what it's going for uh, i I need someone to tell me if if we can prove this and Giuliani's on the case he's going to use all of his contacts all all of Rudy's horses and all of Rudy's men here what if the real foreign collusion was between the Democrats and Ukraine that will be quite a story
0: what we can then say is a we should have a non-for-profit public option for basic banking services and we should be piloting these projects. Sure um through the u.s postal service or or in any other number of ways
1: i i gotta say one thing about these far-left democrats is that they're good at the at the talking points the whipping people up into a kind of emotional frenzy you know class warfare the rich people not paying off the taxes the millionaires the billionaires they get them all you know yeah that's right it's unfair yeah, it's all those people, the dark money in politics and undermining our democracy and health care a human right and all this stuff that it sounds good and it makes people feel good to say, but it doesn't really give you much in the way of, okay, well, what do we do about any of this? And what you see with the AOC and the burn, the burn, I like the nickname, it's good, uh, is that when they get into the nitty gritty of how they'd make something never mind make it work, but how they try to make something work, they have no idea what they're talking about. None. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders trying to come up with a way to revolutionize the banking system and have the federal government essentially uh, in charge of of banking at some level is just indicative of the the lack of understanding that they have of, of how really anything works. Um, you know, AOC and Bernie, neither of them have had to function much in the, in the private sector economy. Bernie certainly hasn't. And, I, and I'm sorry, I'm not yet past that this is a guy who went to the Soviet Union on his honeymoon. I haven't reached the point where I just think that that's like something cute and funny that we can all just forget about. I, I, I think that's quite strange. I think that's very, very weird. Just like I haven't gotten past Kaiser Bill de Blasio, Warren Wilhelm. I know you probably buck why do you say that? Because, guys, his name was Warren Wilhelm. Doesn't he sound like a guy running around in a pith helmet from Bavaria? Warren Wilhelm, yeah. Uh, and then he changed his name to Bill de Blasio. But he, he was going to run for president. Now he's put the announcement off a little bit. I think he realizes everyone's just going to make fun of him. The guy is such a doofus. The good part about Bill de Blasio is that you know that, well, if he can be the mayor of New York, basically anybody can be the mayor of New York. It's a job that you could put somebody, you could just grab the first person you find on the street. In fact, I give it 50-50. No, no. I think it's probably a little better than 50-50 odds. Remember, there's a lot of commies running around New York, but I give it better than 50-50 odds if you just grab some stranger on the street and said, hey, you're now the mayor of New York City. They'd probably do a better job than Bill de Blasio. They'd listen to the advisors. They'd try to approach it with common sense. Uh, De Blasio is a clown and a buffoon. But he also went to, uh, was it, I believe he went to hang out with the Sandinistas in Nicaragua back in the day. Producer Mike fact-checked me on that one. I think he went there on, like, vacation. You know, there's some people that are really attracted to the authoritarian left. I mean, they really believe that communism and Marxist revolution is something to be heralded, something to be celebrated. And you get, these, you get people like Bernie Sanders and AOC and others who have rarely a word of criticism for the likes of a a Maduro uh, or anything nasty to say about Cuba or the Castro regime. There's a clear affinity. And you can't be somebody who understands how capitalist economies work and why they're good and not have a, a level of disdain for what we've seen in places like Cuba from the regime, like Venezuela from the Maduro, and before that, the Chavez regime, right? So you hear Bernie Sanders and AOC talking about a, a public option for basic banking services, and you think to yourself, they don't understand any of this, do they? They just know how to get other people who don't understand any of it to like them and vote for them and to prey upon their insecurities and their ignorance, so that they become supporters of Sanders and, and, and AOC. Um, but these are not these are not people who are look. Let's let's just say it. They're not very knowledgeable. They're not all that bright. Bernie Sanders, Ocasio Cortez, not intellectually impressive, either of them. I, I would not want them on my debate team. I would not want them on my, you know, start a, a business team. Uh, they are just demagogues They're really like actors, and they're, act- they're actors who are playing far-left politicians for all of us to watch and see. Are they believers as well? I think so. I think so at some level. But this not-for-profit public option for basic banking services that they talk about, this reminds me of one of the most interesting exchanges that I, I ever heard on the uh, Adam Carolla podcast, which now there are a lot of big podcasts, but for a long time Adam Carolla's podcast was really the podcast it was uh, he got in that game very early and built up a following very early and uh, but I remember listening to him talk to Gavin Newsom I think at the time Gavin Newsom was the mayor of San Francisco I think that's right Uh, and now he's obviously the governor of California which whenever I think of the governor of California I'm always in my head going to think of Schwarzenegger for some reason but Gavin Newsom was having a conversation with uh, with Corolla, and Corolla's. I do not even think he's a uh, he's a conservative necessarily. I think he's just a a a common senseer, if that's a thing. He's kind of a guy that just approaches things with the way that you would if you weren't already ideologically predisposed one way or the other. I, I don't listen to his stuff much, to be fair. But this was fascinating. There was a, a conversation he was having with uh, with. Gavin Newsom, and Gavin Newsom went off on how, and I, and I don't remember the statistic, and this was from, I want to say, six years ago. It's a long time ago, but it really I really remembered it. And he said, you know, the Latino population of, uh, I think it was the Bay Area and particularly maybe Oakland, but the Latino population in that, in that part of California had a very low rate of having a checking account of any kind. And this was raised as a tremendous injustice, right? Newsom was saying it's so, and really a form of structural racism. Why is it that a a very large percentage, I forget what it is, I don't want to say the number, but a large percentage of Latinos in uh, the Bay Area, and I believe it was true for the rest of California as well, don't even have a checking account, which is a very basic, if you're going to understand your finances, you're going to prepare for the future, you kind of need to have a checking account. And Corolla just said, "Okay, well, why don't they have a checking account? Well, it's free. Checking accounts are free. I mean, some people say, oh, Buck, no, there's a certain bank. You need to have a a balance. But I mean, maybe the maybe the balance is one hundred dollars. But I mean, if you're getting a pay, yeah, how how many people are really? I mean, you get get 20 billion dollars a year being sent across the border in remittances. I mean, how many people really can't keep one hundred dollars in a checking account for any any period of time? I'm not saying it's. No one is in that category, but really? And I don't even know if that's the case anymore. I mean, I think most banks, you can open a checking account's free. You just can't have a, maybe you can't have a zero or a negative balance. But what was fascinating was that when Corolla said, well, why don't they have a checking account? They're free. Newsom, uh, you know, all of a sudden had no, had no answer. Uh, I feel like I want to go back and, and dig up this exchange because it was such a, and it's just a classic moment of here you have a, a, another leftist. Newsom is just like like AOC and Bernie, another left, left-wing demagogue who knows what to say to get the crowd that they want, to, to think that they're the good guy or gal, to think that they're on the side of the poor. But when you ask them a very basic question about the problem that they say they want to address, they've never really even thought about it. You know? Why do we need a not-for-profit public option for ba- banking services? Why do we need that? Checking counts are free. Do Bernie and AOC have any answers to this? Well, I'm assuming if someone actually posed the question to them, it would be somewhat more like what happened with Gavin Newsom. Is, blah, blah, blah. I care about poor people and minorities and systematic oppression and I'm woke and social justice and just they just all turn into these little talking point robots. Never really think about anything. That's that's a, a defining trait on the left these days. They're just it's just like all the talking points have been jammed into the system and it's like mad libs with, woke, with wokeness, with these woke phrases. Doesn't really get into the substance or how you would fix anything. Doesn't really ever tell you how they should or how they would want to address any of these problems. It starts to make you think after a while, maybe they just want to talk about the problems because of how it makes them sound when they talk about it, not because they think they can actually fix it. There been a number of Mass shootings on school grounds in the last few weeks that have gotten uh, attention to the media, not as much as some of the other mass shootings we've all come to know the names of, like uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School or Columbine or the Christchurch uh, Mosque Massacre. There are there these? horrific events where you remember the names of the of the incident in this case i don't think we'll remember the names quite the same way but that's largely because the in these cases rather the casualties were much lower Uh, there have been three uh, attempted major mass shootings in the united states alone between april 27th and may 7th so just in in recent weeks um, you had the uh, sh- a synagogue shooting in Poway, California. You had a shooter walk into a classroom at UNC Charlotte. And then on May 7th, you had a, uh, a shooter open fire at a school in Highland Ranch, Colorado, known as a STEM school. It's for science and uh, with a focus on science and math. Now, the number of dead in these shootings was, was obviously, every death is a terrible tragedy. There should never be a, a shooting in any school, Um, But if we're talking about this as a matter of policy response and also the comparison to other shootings, now you're looking at a pretty low death toll. And and the reason given for this, or at least perhaps one of the reasons for the relatively lower death toll, as uh, David French over at National Review has written it up, is heroes. There were heroes in these incidents, people who took it upon themselves to intervene and, in several cases, give their lives. As David writes here, let's remember and honor the names that truly matter. In Poway, the lone fatality, a brave woman named Lori Gilbert K. died shielding her rabbi. At the same time, in Iraq, vet named Oscar Stewart charged straight at the shooter, yelling that he was going to kill him. The shooter fled the scene with Stewart at his heels until Jonathan Morales, an off-duty Border Patrol agent, engaged the shooter with a firearm. At UNC Charlotte, a young man named Riley Howell was shot three times as he charged the shooter, yet he still managed to tackle him so forcefully that the suspect complained to first responders after his arrest of internal injuries. Howell gave his life to stop the attack. And in Colorado, a young man a young man named Kendrick Castillo immediately lunged for the gunman when the shooting started. He gave his life, but his charge gave his classmates time to hide or flee, and then three other students also charged and subdued the shooter. As David writes, these brave Americans joined an increasing honor roll of heroes like James Shaw Jr., who disarmed a mass killer at a Waffle House in Nashville or Juan Carlos Nazario and Brian Whittle, two armed citizens who gunned down a shooter outside an Oklahoma City restaurant. These men rightly have far more fame than the killers they faced. Their names are the names we remember. Um, This is a part of the mass shooting discussion that should get more attention for, for a couple of reasons. For one, the heroes here should have their names known forever and always Uh, the same way that we understand that the, the bad guys want notoriety and we should try to starve them of that to the degree that we can as a society, we should feel that the opposite is necessary for the good guys in these situations, the heroes, those who step up, those who intervene to save others. And in many cases lose, lose their lives in the process, their names should be, in our minds uh, their names should come to our lips quickly when we think of heroes during a mass shooting incident and then also on the policy side of this or on the how do we solve this how do we deal with mass shooting incidents uh, as David writes here there's the hero solution to the mass shooting contagion now he admits in the piece and you would think this right away of course there are some instances some circumstances where the heroes, there is no possibility to be a hero. You know, if somebody walks into a uh, a crowded area and has sufficient firepower and enough tactical dexterity, it may not be physically possible for anyone to do anything about it. This is why the evil cowards who go into mass shooting situations in schools or places of worship, that's why they do it there. As we know, there's a reason that they pick locations where they feel they are unlikely to come into contact with a good guy or gal with a gun. I think people, are, you know, always need to also remember that it was a a uh, a lady officer, a female officer who uh stepped up and engaged Nidal hassan at the Fort Hood uh mass murder shooting event. It was a female officer who she drew down on that guy and he had been training a lot with pistols. He he had pretty uh, he, he had pretty established tactical dexterity and and tactical skill, and she engaged that shooter and may have saved many lives in the process. Uh, I think she got hit, if I recall, and I believe he got hit as well in that shooting. And I think she was, you know, she was a, a, a diminutive female officer. I think she was 5'1 or 5'2, but courage, bravery, and some skill with a firearm is all she needed, and that's what she had it was also uh one of the two officers who prevented a mass assassination of conservative members of congress the freedom caucus at that baseball field in alexandria virginia Uh, one of those two officers was also female engaged the shooter and uh and took him down so heroes on on both sides of the gender spectrum and heroes that have certainly prevented much worse tragedies from happening now There's some degree of luck involved in this as well. You know, if if you happen to be that uh, that individual who has the courage and has the ability to stop one of these mass shootings, then the people around you whose lives we saved are very fortunate. Because as I said, in some cases, that's just not going to be uh, possible. But there is a mentality here. I think you're seeing it now, and it's similar to the mentality after after nine eleven. And, and this is really at the heart of David's thesis in this very good National Review piece. And for those who might be thinking, fuck, David French you used to have him on the show. I like David. I think he's a very good writer and I think he's a good guy. Uh, I disagree with a lot of him on Trump and uh, with a lot of what he says on Trump. Uh, I think that he was very wrong with uh, where he was on Russia collusion for a long time. And that's why we don't we don't engage on that subject much, because I don't think it's particularly worth either of our time but uh, on the on stuff like this on religious freedom on uh, life issues on gun issues david is uh is quite excellent um he just really 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 hates trump so that can make it hard to talk to you about anything trump related I, I think he hates trump to the point where his judgment on trump is just is tainted i think that he lacks the ability to see anything objectively that involves trump that's my opinion he probably thinks that i'm you know giving trump a back rub all the time i mean it's it's a different Approach to be sure. Um, well, I could use a back rub right now. But anyway, but back to David. I mean, his, his thesis is very much that there's a change in mentality and the mentality changes that now people perhaps understand that uh, they cannot sit at least some people, it has spread far enough that there are, are many people who will not sit by or, or just uh, engage in the flight part of the fight or flight reflex that we all have Uh, and after 9-11 I mean it was definitely the case that if there was any kind of a hijacking that was going to happen if somebody tried to take a plane and many commentators and others pointed this out and it was true and I remember this feeling after 9-11 you know remember this mentality of if some guy thinks he's gonna take a box cutter and take control of this plane he better be ready to have 80 year old women you know coming at him down the uh, down the walkway on the plane, the aisle, you know, hitting them with their walkers and their canes. I mean, everybody on that plane would be in on the fight. Everybody. You know, I mean, I don't think the 80-year-old woman would be the first one necessarily, but you see what I'm saying. It would be every person would understand that their lives are likely forfeit unless they uh, do something and take dramatic and and immediate action. So that is happening in some of these, uh, some of these mass shootings. So that's on the On the positive side of this, as much as one can find any silver lining in the aftermath of mass shootings, uh, the reason that we have uh, a few people who were killed in these three shootings and they haven't dominated the news cycle as a result, because let's just be honest, in the news, uh, there is that phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. And the more people who are wounded and or killed, the more likely it is there's going to be news coverage of something and more saturation coverage of it. We don't have a higher um, body count because thank thank god because people stepped up uh, because in these incidents there were there were individuals who in some cases totally unarmed and just ran at a shooter knowing that they were very likely going to be the next one then targeted and and possibly lose their life in the process but that's that's real hero stuff and if this mentality has changed similar to what we saw after nine eleven, where people feel like in a mass shooting or in a Uh, A school shooting or house of worship shooting scenario, the new reality is going to be fight to the bitter end. That may change the calculation a bit. Now, you want to add to that, in my opinion, the arming of people who want to be armed. Concealed carry, by the way, not just uh, not just open carry for school resource officers, but I think concealed carry for anyone who wants to be who is a licensed and reliable adult. You know, these are people that would have to be background checked, would have to have had sufficient safety and weapons instruction, so they know what they're doing. Um, that also changes the calculation. You know, bad guys think about their evil acts usually before they do them. And they, there's a reason they go for gun-free zones. There's a reason they go for these areas where they know they're not going to come up against opposition. So you add the, the hero phenomenon that we're seeing here, during these mass shootings to the possibility of what what just happened in Florida where i believe they've now passed a or are about to pass i can't remember off the top of my head a law that would allow teachers to be armed um, i believe concealed carry as well this this is moving in the right direction for how we can limit we're never going to we're never going to eliminate mass shootings but we can limit mass shootings in number and perhaps even more so in lethality which is critical and that's what we should be uh, aiming for. We should be trying to establish as best we can a downward trend in these mass shootings and, and with each mass shooting, we're hoping there'll be fewer and fewer people who actually get hit. I wanna to talk to you more specifically though about what happened in Colorado and this, this incident, um, this STEM school shooting, because there's some dynamics at work here that are, are worth diving into a little bit. So let's do that when we come back from the break.
0: I didn't sit in that classroom, um, and I did not sit and watch my friends get shot. My friends die to have a political conference on it. It's not right. So, we got to get
2: out of here. We can't keep here just because, well, we were mistreated here. We don't want to stay here. I want to thank Highland Drench High School for hosting us, even though it went a little off track because uh, politics are always fun. And. Um, So thank you all for coming, supporting, honoring if you were not here for politics. If you were, thanks for ruining it. And um, before we go, we want to say we quick, we love you, Kendrick.
1: We will remember you ever and always. Politicizing a tragedy and using the name of a true hero to gather people together for a left wing agenda. That is what happened at the Highlands Ranch. Uh, stem school vigil now i mentioned before we we came to this break that there was a a a shooting at this school um, and there was a an individual uh, named castillo who ran at the gunman and and saved lives Um, he was he was killed and eight students were wounded when you had two teenagers open fire in this K through 12 school that has a math and science specialization, interestingly enough, one of the people who is being held as one of the suspects in this mass shooting is a transgender individual, a m- male who prefers female pronouns, or I might have that backwards. It might be a female who prefers male pronouns. I can't tell. But very, I've just very little coverage of that shooter, which I think is interesting. I believe that shooter may be a juvenile. But uh, I have a feeling if the shooter were a different profile, even though he or she is a juvenile, um, we would be hearing a whole lot more about it. But the bigger issue here. Oh, thank you. Mike tells me she's going from female to male. So it's a female to male transition. So a transgender male, I think I have that right. Um, As we know, there's. No such thing as a true female to male transition or the other way around. But we are being told increasingly to forget science and reality and just pretend pretend because it makes people feel better uh, back, though, to this politicization of a vigil that you would have a an event that was, quote, billed as a vigil to honor Kendrick Castillo, who was the hero of this incident and prevented many, many others from being killed Guess what? A bunch of Brady campaign to end gun violence people showed up and turned it into a left wing ban guns rally. Uh, The event was organized by the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence and Democrats showed up. Senators Michael Bennett and Representative Jason Crow to speak at length about the need for federal action and reporters were invited to cover the event. Uh, This is this is where you start to see. Once again, the virtue signaling that has really corroded the gun rights and gun control debate. Uh, The left believes that people who think that law abiding gun owners should be constitutionally protected in their right to own firearms without undue, unnecessary and uh, unconstitutional infringement and harassment. The left believes that they're bad people. All you have to do is see the timeline of my former colleague and friend Dana Lash, for example, and the things that are said to her and about her by leftists, including prominent leftists in the media and and gun control advocates, some of the most well known gun control advocates, and they blame law abiding gun owners who have never broken any laws in their life for the for dead children in mass shootings. You know this is the mentality you see among Democrats. It's not a conversation about what's constructive to do. It's They're the good people that want to stop kids from getting killed. If you don't agree with them, you're one of the bad people who doesn't care about kids being killed. I mean, that's a stupid construction for the argument. That's a stupid way to approach it. But that is how they approach it. They really do think that this is a struggle between good and evil. And good is ban guns. Good is stop people from having firearms that the left says they should not have, which really if, if they had their way, we would have a, something a, a, a like a, like the Australia model, which isn't even the model they say it is. And I've talked about that before. But, you know, we'd you'd be able to have maybe, you know, double barrel shotgun and some bolt action rifles. And that's it. You know, no pistols, no semi-automatic rifles, none of that. And even still, given the hundreds of millions of firearms in circulation right now in this country, even if they try to institute a massive ban of that kind. It wouldn't stop violence. Bad people would still be able to get their hands on guns. There's still a global market for firearms. It's not just a U.S. market. There would be illegal weapons. People that are willing to kill people and do mass shootings don't care what the laws say about gun ownership. So Democrats get very agitated because they think that they're so brave and good and they're the ones that want to save the kids. But their ideas are stupid and their policies are unconstitutional and they can't react to a real and rational discussion about guns and what to do about gun violence without pointing a finger and wanting to make this a virtue signaling contest that's all they care about they really do approach this like a bunch of self-righteous brats that is what you see from leftist gun controllers and that's why they politicize a vigil for a hero for their own purposes
0: the show ain't over yet folks keeping it real Time for roll call.
1: Pa ba ba da 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 Oh man, Buck goes to China China That's happening it's happening uh, tomorrow. Assuming all goes according to plan. I'm going to miss you all very much. So I'll be out for a week. But I can tell you that next week we have in at the helm of the Freedom Hut. We have Raheem Kasam, Harlan Hill, Charlie Kirk. Uh, who else do we have? Brett Winterbull. Fantastic guesso So next week is kind of a, a smorgasbord of uh, awesome. So I think, you know, smorgasbord is one of those smorgasbord. Smorgasbord? What is it? Smorgasbord with a D, obviously. All right, that's, I, that's what I said. We're just going to pretend that's what I said. It's a buffet offering a variety of hot and cold meats, salads, and hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres also being one of the hardest words out there to Smorgus Smorgasbord. So uh, you'll have fantastic guests next week. It's going to be very exciting. And then I'll be doing I'll be back the following week in uh Los Angeles, Cali- California. It's gonna be fantastic. I'm very much looking forward to that. Got some stuff to do out there on the left coast, the best coast. Um, well, actually, East Coast is better. Let's see. Jim writes, I highly recommend a book called The Bloody Telegram. Nixon, Kissinger, and a Forgotten Genocide by Gary. Hello, this is Laura. I'm calling to let you know that we have been granted a limited This is one of those damn robocalls. Gosh darn it. Why am I getting a robocall in the middle of my friggin' radio show? Robocall. I didn't even, I didn't, I'm telling you. I'm going to find these robocall people and I'm going to lose my mind on them. That's a thing that happened. Uh, all right. Jim writes, uh, I highly recommend this book called The Bloody Telegram, Nixon, Kissinger and a Forgotten Genocide by Gary Bass. An astonishing account of American history that no one's ever heard of. What history, what genocide? Check it out. OK, Jim, um, I know nothing about this, but I will give it a Google. Michael writes, I heard Bill Clinton might join Joe Biden on the campaign trail. It will be called Our Fondling Father's Tour. Michael, you're not the first one to write this joke to me, so I feel like someone saw this joke somewhere and now everyone's sending this joke around. But thank you for your uh, your sharing of humor. Adam writes, Buck, we are often in the same position a short round was in when Indiana Jones was brainwashed. Question is, where do we find the torch shields high? You know... I was thinking about this the other day. The Indiana Jones movies... Look, Indiana Jones, the story is a great story. Uh, The character is really cool. And I I think it's a great concept. And those movies were very, very watchable in their day. They're fantastic. I'm just annoyed that they couldn't make more good versions of them. It's such a great character. And that uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was, was horrific. It was an offense. It was an assault against all things. So... I did not enjoy it at all. Um, And yes, we need to find the torch and get short round to stop being brainwashed. Magaram, sigaram, boom, boom. Magaram, sigaram. Remember when he goes to like rip the guy's heart? You know what I'm talking about. He goes to rip the heart out of the guy. I think they're saying magaram, sigaram. If that's that's from the top of my head, I don't think it's a real language they're saying, so I, I can just make up the words too. But that was intense, man. I'll never forget the first time I saw it as a kid. I saw that guy just pull the beating heart out of the dude before he put him in the fire pit. That was a real deal. That was messed up. Uh, Dennis writes, Hey, Buck, long-time listener, first-time writer, book recommendation. My brother, Timothy May, has several written books about Genghis Khan and the Mongols. All are available from Amazon: Safe Travels, Dennis. Huh? Dennis, very cool, man. I'll check out your brother's book. Thank you so much for writing in. I appreciate it. Uh, I do The Mongols is a part of history that we should I think we skipped over it when I was in school. It's just it's like, yeah, and some dudes with horses who were pretty intense, they came in, messed some stuff up, and no, no, no. It was really important. They were the most dominant military force on the planet for quite a while and conquered a larger empire than any really anyone since or before in terms of population i think you could definitely make that case uh let's see or in terms of landmass, probably too chris someone's yelling buck the british empire was larger with greater population i don't think so man There's a lot of people in china chris writes buck still can't get over judge napolitano's conversion to trump hater I really don't care about his likes or dislikes. What terrifies me is that he was a judge with truly awesome power. He uh, seemingly overnight wanted to damage Trump and is offering twisted legal interpretations to indulge his anger. Am I supposed to believe that couldn't have happened when he was a judge? We are at the mercy of these egomaniacs if we have the misfortune of being entangled in court proceedings. How do I now trust that Knapp didn't do this while he's a judge? Probably isn't even aware of it on a conscious level. How many people did he damage in his career? How revolting, Your Honor, indeed. You know, Chris, I, I very much disagree with Judge Napolitano uh, in terms of what he says a lot of the time on Fox these days. I, I've always found the judge to be uh, very very friendly and gentlemanly to me, and I've interacted with him many, many times. Uh, so I, I, I like the judge, and as I always tell you, I'm upfront with you all about that. So you know that that, that colors my judgment. A lot of people pretend that they're objective even when they like somebody. No, when I like somebody, I, I can be objective about some things, but my overall assessment is not going to be what you could honestly describe as objective. Now we're not friends. I don't like hang out and drink, drink, uh, you know, stolichnaya with judge Knapps Like I do with, I don't know, Dr. Gorka. We hung out yesterday, had some drinks. Dr. G's the man. That guy's great. Uh, but I, I do like Judge Napolitano. I don't know what's happened to him. I don't know why he has all of a sudden decided that uh, he hates Trump. And, and all, all of his legal analysis feels to me like a kind of lawyerly version of Trump derangement syndrome. As for what he did when he was a judge, I think he was probably a good judge. I don't know. He was a state court judge. He was not a federal judge. So I I think I wouldn't want to go too far on this. But, yeah, judges do have a lot of power. And when you're in a courtroom, that's a real manifestation of state power. When you understand that, like, the guy tells you to be quiet, you have to be quiet. You don't say, oh, I have a First Amendment right to speak. And no, you don't. In the court, the judge, it's the judge's world and you're living in it. Mary writes, a great book I just finished is Woman from Shanghai by Shanwei Yang. It is interviews of survivors that were being accused of uh, being rightists and counter-revolutionaries. Mary, that sounds very interesting. I also think, though, that that's probably not the book that I want to have in my bags when I go through Chinese customs. Yes, hello, I am here to visit your country, and I have a book about the systematic abuse of people that disagree with your regime from within your country just thought I'd carry that around with me perhaps take some photos with it held up near the great wall or no no I'm I'm going there as a tourist keeping a low profile just hanging out doing the thing and uh team if for some reason I get held up over there I know some of you are going to circle a posse together and come and get me so China right, I'm ca- Exactly I'm counting on you Chessin. All right if Donald Trump uh Pardon me, if Donald Trump Jr. does sit down before Congress, I would uh, want him to plead the fifth. This would make many in Congress the media claim it shows he has something to hide or is guilty. I would respond to those statements with, "So you believe that Lois Lerner and Hillary Clinton are guilty or have something to hide, then sit back and watch the verbal gymnastics begin. Yeah, Chess and, you're right about how that would happen. and that that's a very good example of the media bias. In many of these high profile, very political cases at work, when they like someone who takes the fifth, we get lectures out of all these legal experts that go on T V specifically to tell us all about how pleading the fifth is not in any way an admission of guilt, and pleading the fifth is completely and, and utterly fine and you know it's it's a great legal tradition. But if it's someone they don't like, then plead the fifth, oh the person's obviously guilty obviously guilty. Guilty as sin, sir. So, Ch- Chesson, you are correct, my friend. And from what I see here, you got quite a beard going, my man. I had to trim mine down a little bit. It was going uh, it was going into a, a, a little beyond what I was looking You know, I, I starting to look like a hipster barista. You know, I, I like the kind of... I'm not gonna talk about my beard. But whenever I do, people say, Buck, stop talking about your beard. Alright, I know. It's like a new toy. I'm excited to have a beard, but it's, uh, I don't know how long it's going to last. Some people tell me that in the summertime it gets itchy. John writes, Shields High, Real News fan here. Wow, John. We Go back. We are partying with you like it's 20, 2012, which I think is when we started Real News. Nancy Pelosi just named two things, fossil fuels and gun violence. So a make-believe thing and a thing that is also made up by the left. Sure, gun violence is bad, but I'm pretty sure it's not number two on whatever list she has of things that they say require a Democrat president to solve. Strawman arguments from a woman who should be in a nursing home and not on TV. Commie bear lives. Yes, he does live still. He is around. Commie bear, he misses you. Uh, gun violence is not the number two thing for presidents to solve. Yeah, we're not going to solve gun violence anytime soon. That is true. Uh, until we solve the deficiencies of the human heart, which we will not do that anytime any time either. Uh, we, we're doing double roll calls. This is my last roll call with you for a week. So that means on the flip side, we we'll are come right back. Continue the conversation, team. I'm going to try not to get all weepy because I'm going to miss you next week, but I'll be right back. All right, we got uh, part two of our roll call for this Freestyle Friday, which I got to figure out how it's a freestyle because we used to do uh, action movie quote Friday, and we take a lot of phone calls, and now it's kind of just like a Friday show. So I, I, I know, I'm aware, we got to make it a little more freestyle, a little more freewheeling. I do get a little sillier on the Friday show. I'm a silly man. So I think maybe that's, maybe that's a difference. I'm gonna, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. James writes, just some thoughts. They want to impeach a president who donates money to charity, all of his money that he has paid for doing his job. He deserves that money, but the left is willing to let that generosity go. I'd like to see any liberal donate their money to charity because President Trump is not doing it for the money. He's doing it for his country. President Trump is trying to prove a point to show the world and our country how much he loves our country and is willing to give up his lavish lifestyle to help improve our lives and be able to take care of ourselves on our own and not by government assistance. You cannot prosper on government assistance. You can only move forward. Or rather, you cannot move forward. You can only go backward. Um, James, I got nothing to add to that, my friend, other than just say, uh, all righty. Thank you so much for writing in. Matthew Buck, here's a flip on the argument of federal circuit judges being able to issue a nationwide or even circuit-wide stay. The civil rights of U.S. citizens are being infringed. Shouldn't the government be stayed from implementation until... The case has been tried. Do I think what the Ninth Circuit has been doing for the last few years is correct? No, but removing that whole power can severely hurt U.S. citizens in the long run. As always, shields high. Um, yeah, well, Matthew, I mean, that's. I think you're, what you're saying is there's a good reason why you can have a nationwide injunction um, but I I think that they're looking at this again because what you have and this is a this is a recurring theme in our battles with the leftists what you have is the judges now are treating everything like it's an imminent civil rights violation anything as a matter of policy that Trump does that some federal judge does not like they'll just overrule so there's a, a bad faith component to this that you have to you have to keep in mind and that it's not even an a, a, a appeals court or an en banc review or anything like that. It's just one judge can overrule the president of the United States on, on any action that the judge decides. That's just that's too much power in the hands of think of it this way. That's way too much power in the hands of any individual federal judge. Federal judge is not this isn't the Supreme Court. This isn't a, you know, five, four ruling or something. This is just some judge somewhere that was appointed by a previous president. That judge is able to say, no, president can't do that. No, president can't do that. And even though they can be overturned on appeal and that is what's happened, that's a tremendously disruptive power to give to one federal judge somewhere. So that's what I would say about that. Uh, Nathan writes, hey, Buck. Just a quick note to let you know, I'd throw you a few bucks per month for commercial-free full episodes of your radio show. I'll listen either way, but I'm sure I'm not the only one out here who would support your content via other means than advertising. Shields high. Well, Nathan, thank you so much, man. I That means a lot. And, you know, we'll see what in the, in the digital media future that we are all in this business hurtling toward, uh, it's going to be very likely that you're really just going to, everyone's going to rely on the people that consume their content to support that content, whether it's through what we do right now, which is uh, ad- advertiser support, and by you being customers of uh, the advertisers that are on the show, or perhaps even uh, a direct subscription model of some kind later. So thank you for uh, the vote of confidence and the encouragement, my friend. Have a fantastic weekend. Susan writes, let's see, four admitted liars in the Kavanaugh case. Not one word about it. But now, great concern over any little disgusting lie the Democrats wish to make up. Nancy Pelosi is concerned over ethics. Nancy Pelosi and ethics! Exclamation, question mark, question mark, question mark. How is it they're getting away with the filthy lies? Susan took the took the exclamation points right out of my mouth. Dwayne writes, can't help but think that Mueller's decision to pass on the obstruction charge was just a ploy to keep the whole thing alive. If he clears Trump out of his mouth, the Dems have little recourse and it's over. Uh, if he makes Barr do it, the Dems can claim cover-up and keep the circus alive as long as they want. The Dems have no soul and are doing immeasurable harm to our government. Man, Dwayne does not hold back. Um, let's see what we have here. Wow, this is really long. Uh, I will have to come back to this one because this is quite a lengthy one. Uh, let's see. Don writes, good evening, Buck. Shields high in LA, lower Alabama, not Cali. What do you think of the odds are the Dems are rolling a uh, Trojan horse? Uh, hmm, Testudo. Don, I don't know, man. (laughs) That's a good question. Democrats might do that. Everybody, I'll miss you next week. Great guests in every day, though. I'll be talking to you from China. Well, actually, I'll be talking to you about China when I get back. Talk then. Shields high.